Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. As you probably are aware, if you keep up with North Carolina news headlines, there was a big development recently in the state higher education system. On Friday, December 8th, after several days of uncertainty, UNC Chapel Hill Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz announced that he's leaving the school to assume the presidency of Michigan State University. This makes Guskowitz the third chancellor to depart from the state's flagship university in recent years, and as with the previous two, Holden Thorpe and Carol Folt, many observers attributed his departure to the system board of governors and campus board of trustees that the state's Republican legislature has packed with conservative appointees. Interestingly, however, as I was reminded in part one of a recent extended conversation I had with my colleague, NC Newsline investigative reporter Joe Killian, while Guskowitz may have been frustrated by the political meddling he endured, for the most part he did little to resist it during his four years as chancellor, and he may well face yet another set of political challenges when he arrives in the Midwest. Joe Killian, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thanks for having me. As always, lots of developments in the world of higher education in North Carolina. Uh, So many things to talk about. Let's start, though, with the big news at the flagship UNC Chapel Hill campus, the departure of Kevin Guskowitz, which has been rumored for a while, and he is finally uh, leaving us to become president of Michigan State University, where he's going to get a big bump in salary and maybe uh, some more welcoming arms than he experienced here in Chapel Hill. Walk us through some of these of this development. So, you know, as you say, Kevin Guskowitz has been chancellor of UNC Chapel Hill, uh, first on an interim basis, and then as the permanent chancellor since 2019. Um, He is the third UNC Chapel Hill chancellor to leave the position kind of early under circumstances where he was butting heads with the board of governors, his own board of trustees, Holden Thorpe, and then Carol Fault, his predecessor. They all sort of left under a cloud in the sense that they were you know, butting heads with these governing boards who are political appointees. And uh, each of them felt that the those political appointees were sort of not, as they say, staying in their lane and were inserting themselves in micromanaging and that the legislature had begun to do that too. Uh, Kevin Guskowitz has maybe seen more of that even than they did uh, because he has been chancellor through some some rather rocky periods. The immediate aftermath of the Silent Sam Confederate monument being toppled, which was a huge part of uh, his predecessor leaving. He had to be the chancellor whose sort of face was on a controversial agreement that the system and his also his campus made with the Sons of Confederate Veterans over the statue, which ultimately was scrapped by a court that was followed by the COVID-19 pandemic, and that was hard for everybody. But at UNC and UNC Chapel Hill specifically, he sort of became the face of and defended and sort of put forth reasons why it was a good thing to bring students back in full capacity dorms when the local health department was advising against that. Lots of doctors, including ones who worked for UNC, were advising against that. And it went so poorly that they ended up sending everybody home anyway, almost immediately because of an overwhelming number of infections. Uh, And then there's been other sort of more explicitly political uh, things that he's run into, like the the legislature mandating and uh, the creation of a new school at the university that in its inception was called a conservative center and which uh, members of the politically appointed board of trustees and board of governors have said will be a corrective for a campus that has grown too liberal and whose faculty is too liberal. And, you know, sort of in an unprecedented way, the legislature in the budget 
laid out exactly how the school is going to work and who they're, you know, how many people they're going to hire and what the circumstances will be. These have all been really controversial, unpopular things with faculty and alumni and students. But like all chancellors, he's sort of caught between those people and the people who actually hire and fire him, which who are political appointees. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's he. It seems that he uh, maybe was chafing and unhappy and looking to get, but he basically until recently kind of towed the party line pretty much throughout with all the decisions that were made. I guess maybe we're to infer that he just couldn't take it anymore and he didn't want to, I guess that would be the flattering assessment that he just wanted, couldn't be true to himself and stay in the job. But yeah, it's interesting because, that publicly. you know, faculty members and even board of trustee members have said that they have asked Guskowitz over the course of years, even in recent months, if he was looking to leave and he denied it, he said no, that he was concentrated on Chapel Hill. Well, we found out essentially because it leaked in, in Michigan, at Michigan State University, and the, the student paper there, the state news, broke that he was one of two final candidates. And that leak caused the other candidate to drop out because these are supposed to be confidential search processes. So that's that's how we found out he was looking and how and also how his bosses found out he was looking. And that led to, you know, sort of weeks of will he, won't he? And then, and then on Friday, Friday morning is when the Michigan State Board of trustees met and announced him in the job and elected him. And that was the point only minutes after that happened that the board of trustees actually got word that that was happening. They they didn't get an email until that morning saying this is what his decision is. So, you know, that does not speak of a warm relationship that he's sorry to be losing. Your reporting uh, was very insightful in the fact that you detailed some of the details of what's happening at Michigan state and some of the troubles they've had there. It's not like he's going to a place that's, uh, utterly free from controversy and world of higher education. Yeah. In fact, comparing these two schools is really sort of an interesting thing to do if you're interested in higher education, because, you know, the, the complaint in North Carolina for, you know, the last decade really is that with these boards, the board of governors, which governs the entire UNC system, and then the board of trustees entirely in the hands of one party, whoever the majority is in the North Carolina General Assembly, you get these very uniform political boards and things become very political and and they get into a lot of, you know, culture war stuff. And and that's a criticism. But at Michigan State, they actually directly elect their trustees, which means in partisan elections, which means that, you know, some people say that makes them more responsive to the people uh, because you can you can throw them out and they can promise things and be elected and be held to it. But the other problem is the other thing can happen, which is that you elect a board full of people who don't necessarily get along with each other for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, there's no there's no hand that can take them away or or can take all of them away. And so, yeah, I mean, there's been a series of scandals, sex scandals, uh, you know, ethics scandals at that university from chancellors to board of trustee members to the chair of the board of trustees. So, you know, some people are saying it's out of the frying pan into the fire. It seems like maybe it's out of one frying pan and into another. May not be any safe refuge these days in the world of higher education. We know that it's become just increasingly political. We're talking with Joe Killian, investigative reporter at NC Newsline, who covers, among other many things, the higher education beat in our state. So this isn't the only search that's going on right now for a chancellor in the UNC system, right? Carolina, Chapel Hill might be the quote-unquote flagship, but there's some other important schools. That yeah. That's so North really Sure. Yeah. I mean, North Carolina A&T, which is the largest HBCU, not just in the system, but the entire nation, uh, is looking for a new chancellor. That search has already begun. Uh, Harold Martin stepped down. He was the longest serving UNC system chancellor. 
so now they, they've constituted a, a search committee and, and they're doing their work. Uh, it's a national search. And also Winston-Salem State University, will, another HBCU, is, is uh, looking for a chancellor. We just concluded the uh, UNC Asheville search. So, you know, it's interesting because with, with these searches happening at once or on top of each other, we're beginning to see what these chancellor searches are going to look like because, you know, over the course of the time that that uh, UNC system president Peter Hans has been in that position, they've changed a bit. And Hans initially, even before he came to office, you know, asked for and wanted them to grant him the power to insert finalists into the, into these searches, even if perhaps they had not applied previously or they were not the the choice of trustees and and then ultimately he's the person who will choose the finalist that goes to the board of governors for a vote so he essentially wanted to be able to choose twice you know to choose the, to, to insert finalists if he wanted to and then to choose the, the final person that he puts you know forward for a board vote and and now you know it's changed but it's changed in ways that still leave him with a lot of power he not only puts together the search committee, but previously board of governors members couldn't sit on these committees and now they must sit on these committees. So, um, you know, he's going to be on every committee and the board of governors members are going to be on every committee and he's going to, you know, sort of choose the members of these committees. So this is going to reflect his will before it ever gets to that point. He'll be, you know, part of it from, you know, beginning to end, as he says. And, uh, you know, that's going to, that's going to make for some really interesting searches. We'll see what we get. So he'll appoint an interim, but we don't really have a concrete idea at this point what the time frame looks like for the new They're term. saying the UNC system is saying within the next week or week or so was the words that they used. We're going to see an interim president that won't necessarily be the person who's the the permanent chancellor at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, but they will be in that interim spot until a uh, new chancellor is selected. Now Guskowitz was the interim previously and then he became the permanent person and at unc Asheville, it was kimberly van nort was the interim and then she became the permanent person it's a good spot to be in if you are applying for the job because you get to sort of audition on the on the job right you get to do the job for a little while and then you can make the argument hey i've done the job i did it pretty well so that's why everybody's looking at you know who this might be but traditionally the interim person you know, isn't necessarily the person that they choose in the end. I mean, think about when they were choosing Peter Hans as the, uh, yeah, the UNC system president. Uh, They had Bill Roper come in as an interim for a while at a very rocky time to be the interim until they chose somebody new. And that's, that's more common. Coming up next, part two of my special extended conversation with investigative reporter Joe Killian. Stay with us. Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In part one of my special extended conversation with NC Newsline investigative reporter Joe Killian, we discussed UNC Chapel Hill Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz's announcement that he's leaving the job to assume the presidency at Michigan State University. In part two of our chat, we turn to some other matters of controversy in the UNC system, including some other ongoing chancellor searches, as well as questions that continue to arise more and more about who North Carolina public universities should enroll and the challenges posed by some notable and impending demographic shifts. We've been talking about the leadership in the university system, but there are all kinds of really big issues out there in addition to just who runs the show. And one of those has to do with things like 
how much it costs to go to UNC system schools, who actually gets to enroll in these schools, what uh, what percentage of people will be, uh, slots will be reserved for in-state uh, students. Talk to us about some of the developments there, Joe. Well, so over the last few years, uh, a number of things have happened that have led to some changes. Um, you know, there, there's been this national question of is college worth the cost is you know university four-year university education worth the cost and confidence in higher education has gotten pretty low in addition to concerns about debt you know student debt and and you know how much students are starting out with in debt when they and the return on the quote-unquote return on investment uh, meaning what will you make when you get out of college what will you make your first year your first five years so you know into that equation comes the fact that the unc system for a long time now has had caps on how many people from out of state can be admitted to its universities. And the caps have been a little all over the place because they wanted to have caps, you know, in place that reflected the actual, uh, you know, number of people who were applying and being admitted. So at some schools, they were a little higher than others. They've waived them for some schools, particularly HBCUs and struggling regionals who really needed to get their enrollment numbers up for the health of the university. Uh, also for some schools like A&T, who have been enrolling, you know, a large number of the, you know, the requisite number of people who come from North Carolina, but who have seen so much outside interest from people outside the state that they raised the cap for that university and a number of others. Well, just, you know, just recently, just last month, we saw a $4.1 million fine for UNC Wilmington. Uh, which is not a large UNC system school because they had exceeded that out-of-state admissions cap twice. You have to exceed it twice in order to get the fine. First time they just give you a warning. So because of that, specifically, we, we've seen some discussion on the board and some agitation by board members to either eliminate or revise that policy, particularly because we're coming up on you know, the period where demographically, because of the number of people who, who are being born, who are now aging into the position where they'd be going to college and that number falling uh, in the U.S., uh, what, what they call the demographic cliff uh, is coming up. And we're going we're gonna to see enrollment becoming a, a bigger and bigger problem for some of these four-year universities because there simply will be fewer college, you know, traditional college-age Americans will be, you know, ready to go off to college. And because of all of those other factors that I mentioned, you know, questions about debt and, you know, low confidence in, in higher education in general, it's creating this sort of perfect storm for enrollment. Uh, and the pandemic didn't help, but some schools have bounced back quicker than others. Some haven't bounced back at all. Uh, certainly not enough. And so, yeah, we're going to see that discussion in the, in the coming year. And I think it's going to be a really spirited discussion because there are some board of governors members who are just adamant that these caps should either stay in place or there should be an even stronger cap because they believe that the purpose of the UNC system is to educate North Carolinians and to do it for as close to free as is practical. And there are other people who are like, listen, if we're going to have a 16 university campus system and we're going to serve the entire state, we're going to have smaller regionals as well as large schools like NC State and Chapel Hill and ECU, then for the health of those schools, we have to allow them to admit the people who want to go there, you know, whether they come from here or not. Uh, and, you know, out-of-state tuition is more expensive anyway. So, you know, that's not a, that's not, not a factor. And, you know, so I think that, I think the discussion on the board is going to be really, really a strong one. No indication that, um, Politics will somehow magically evaporate in this process. It seems likely that uh, the General Assembly will continue to sort of uh, 
pull the strings to a great extent on what happens on the board. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, people who followed our reporting know that the not only has the General Assembly inserted itself more and more in, in these pro, in these processes and who sits on the board, but, you know, at one time, the governor, whoever whoever was you know, from whatever party, had some appointments at least to campus-level boards of trustees. And when Pat McCrory, our last Republican governor, had lost to current Governor Roy Cooper, who's a Democrat, the Republican-held General Assembly went about immediately stripping the power of the governor to make these appointments. So now that process is entirely in Republican hands. But as we find out in any state at any time in U.S. history, when one party is entirely in power, that doesn't mean that that the party is a monolith. So you have this interesting sort of in, this interesting tension right now because you have Republican appointees on these boards, some of whom come from you know, Eastern North Carolina and small rural areas, mountain areas that are, you know, have smaller UNC system schools and their interest is in those schools surviving and thriving and, you know, whatever policy we can put in place that might help them, that'd be good. And then there are other folks who are like, you know what, you know, they're philosophically in the other direction. They think that, you know, all these schools should be held essentially to the same standard. And, you know, I've even heard it said, perhaps some of these schools don't need to exist if they can't survive under the the policies and, and uh, environment that they're in. And so, you know, that that's going to make for some, some really interesting political discussions. Joe Killian is the best informed and most prolific higher education reporter in North Carolina. He's at ncnewsline.com. Joe, as always, thanks so much for being with us and keep up the great work. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.